You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, we have two readings tonight. The first reading is from Matthew 16, starting at verse 24 and going to verse 28. And the second reading is from 1 Timothy 4, uh, starting at verse 1, going till verse 5. Matthew 16 at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, And then 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tiana. How about we pray as we get into God's word? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, that it's living and active as your spirit works through it. Uh, We ask that we might receive that tonight, that we might seek truth and uh, seek to be changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're into week four of a series we're calling here The Vine, the Trellis and the Crow, where we've been thinking about what's called a rule of life, basically a set of habits and rhythms that can help keep Jesus at the centre of our lives. And then from that, we can continue to grow and flourish in Him. Last week, Pastor Coy uh, helped us think through the habits of examination and encouragement, how it's important for us to regularly take stock of our lives and to see what's going on, to assess how God is at work in our hearts uh, and to recognise the areas where we need to grow and to come to God confessing where we're falling short, but then receiving His forgiveness. That's all part of the life that we live with Him. This week, we're going to think about the importance of the disciplines of delight and denial, which maybe sounds a little bit of a paradox at first, because those two things you wouldn't think would go together, and yet we see them together right throughout Scripture. And so, for instance, we see that Jesus describes following him as as something that gives life and hope and joy. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's suggesting that life with him is comfortable and a good thing. And yet there's other places where he describes the life of discipleship in very different kinds of terms. Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So which is it? How does this work? Well, it turns out it's both 
things, both delight and denial, are crucial to a healthy relationship with God. God is a God that we can delight in and he gives us a million and one pleasures by which we can do this. But there are also times where we need to deny ourselves so that we can ensure that our ultimate delight is in him. Now, all of this is going to take a little bit of explaining. So I thought it might be helpful to start with the foundation of everything. And that is the delights of God. John Piper, the writer John Piper says that the foundation of our happiness in God is the happiness of God in himself. See, we couldn't delight in God unless God delighted in himself. And thankfully he does. God is a genuinely happy God. He is truly and profoundly self-satisfied. He delights in himself. He rejoices in who he is. Now, perhaps that sounds a little strange. You see, to say among humans that someone is self-satisfied is normally seen as a bad thing. It suggests that you're arrogant, that you're blind to your faults. It's a little bit cringe. I mean, you think about Cristiano Ronaldo talking about himself, like he's self-satisfied and we don't find that an attractive quality. But with God, it's a different story. You see, God is perfect. He has no faults. And so it is right for him to be self-satisfied, to delight in himself. In fact, it would be wrong if he didn't. John Piper says he would be unrighteous if he valued anything above that which is most valuable, and he is the thing that's most valuable. And so, Piper says, God is an unshakably happy God, and his happiness is the delight he has in himself. And there's also a sense in which God delights in himself as in, within the Trinity. You see, as Christians, when we speak of God, we actually speak of the Godhead, that there is one God who exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we always struggle to get our heads around this concept. So one of the ways it's helpful to think about it is to put it in practical terms. And one of those things is to say that God exists in community that there is a community, a fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that from eternity past, God has been in community with himself. And this is a joyful, happy community. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit rejoices in both. Just think about when Jesus is baptised. We're told that the Spirit came down, descended on him as a dove, and then a voice from heaven, the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Here we see this dramatic moment of rejoicing within the Trinity. So God is a happy God who delights in himself. And this is crucial because it opens the way for God to delight in creation. See, creation, you should think about it as the overflow of God's happiness. His delight, his creation is an expression of his joy. He's happy within himself, and so he wants other people to share in this as well. Uh, one writer says, God does not create because he has to or because he lacks anything. He creates because his delight in being God is so abundant that it spills out into a universe of wonders. Or another writer likens it to uh, a husband and a wife who so love each other that they want to share that love. They want to open that up and they want to share that and, and create a child to enjoy this love together. That's what God is like. He is so happy that he, he feels compelled to love others. He wants others to share in his delight. That means, uh, this, I know this is quite philosophical to start us off. 
But what I want you to see here is that there is something beautiful, something happy, something delightful at the heart of the universe, at the heart of creation, that's driving creation. And that really sets Christianity apart. You see, every religion and every philosophy has some creation story, an explanation for how this world came to be. And whatever it is, it's crucial because it's going to shape the way that you view the things of this world and how you approach them. But often you'll find that these stories are ugly and horrible. The Babylonians, for instance, believed that the world was created after this great brawl among the gods and it was ended only when the great god Marduk uh, broke the goddess Tiamat in half and uh, spilled her out into the universe, and that's what created the heavens and the earth. It's a horrible story. Now, just think, though, if that is your story, your picture of how this world came to be, how is that going to shape the way that you approach it? Well, it's probably going to make you feel like everything is up for grabs, that the creation itself is something that's uh, fought over. And how do you find joy in the middle of a war zone? How can you enjoy this kind of world? Well, think about the atheist view of the world, where anything supernatural or spiritual, anything outside the material and the physical is seen as impossible. So Richard Dawkins, uh, the atheist writer, describes the universe as bleak, cold and empty, with no design, no purpose, nothing but pitiless indifference. But how do you live in a world like that? I mean, how do you find meaning if there's no purpose? How do you find joy if all around you is bleak? How can you love if there's nothing but pitiless indifference in the universe? How can you delight in things that have no design? Now I want you to compare that to the creation account of the Bible. See, in Genesis 1, we're told that God makes this world and you see as you read through it that God rejoices, God delights in the world that he makes. Genesis 1 verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. He's delighting in it. And this continues right through the narrative. He made the dry land and the sea, and he says it's good. He makes the trees and the plants. God saw that it was good, and so it goes on. It was good, it was good. Until verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I just love this picture. God, to me, that strikes me as this artist who's put the finishing touches on his work, and then he puts down his brush, and he steps back from the easel, and he's, he loves it. He's looking at his work, and he's like, this is what I was trying to do. This is good. This is very good. And so... Our create, whatever we create comes out of who we are and how we're feeling, right? So think of an artist or a writer or a filmmaker. Their work will reflect their personality, their character, what their life is like. And so if they're angry, they'll produce something that's fierce and divisive. If they're confused or frustrated or cynical, you'll see that in the movie that they make. And so you see in the world around us, we see the personality and the character of God. We see things that are beautiful because God is beautiful. We see things that are delightful because God is happy and he's delighting in the things that he has made. And ultimately, God delights most of all in us, in people. 
See, we're told in Genesis that God made us in his image and likeness. He made us to live with him. He made us to be his companions and to experience life with him in the most profound and beautiful ways, to enjoy life with him. All of which points to the tragedy of humanity's fall into sin. See, the story in Genesis 3 where we see humanity fall from grace is really a story of love offered and then love scorned. God delighted in us, but we haven't delighted in him. God gave humanity every good thing, but then it was rejected. Adam and Eve turned away from God. And yet even this moment highlights God's love because he delights in us so much that he then went to save us. So God could have given us up like a spurned lover, but he delights so much that he goes after us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's how much God delights in you and me. He delights so much that he gave himself so that we could once more have life with him. So do you realise that? Do you realise how special you are to God? How much God delights in you? Uh, My wife often talks about uh, the wonder of discovering that God actually liked her. (laughs) She grew up in a very conservative, pretty severe church where she was often hearing about her sin and her uh, unworthiness. It was only much later when she realised that Yes, she was sinful, but yes, she was also forgiven by Jesus. That, that's when she understood that God delighted in her, that he actually liked her, cared about her. Perhaps you're a little bit the same. It is easy for us to think that God just kind of merely tolerates us, that he's constantly frustrated by us. He's a bit resentful. Even if we're forgiven, he still holds us at arm's length. But no, he delights in us. He created you in the most happy way. Psalm 139 says we were knit together in the womb, that God drew out the unique pattern of your fingerprints. He valued you so much that he gave you every strand of your hair. He knows everyone. He knit you together with a billion different types of DNA He did all of these things because he delights in you. And even when we sin, he delights in you so much that he came to claim you and to bring you back if you will just say yes to him. I love Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I was going to say that this passage reminds me of a parent standing over a cot singing over a newborn, but I realise it doesn't. He rejoices over us with loud singing because he's so excited. He can't just kind of do a little lullaby to us. He wants the whole world to know how much he delights in us. So this God who delights in us now calls us to delight in him. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. This is, in fact, the purpose for humanity. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
See, see, we glorify, we honour God by enjoying him. So this is God's kind of demand, command to us to enjoy him, but it's a pretty happy demand, isn't it? Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's, that's what God's asking us to do. He's saying, can you please delight in me? Can you just have the best life of rejoicing in who I am? That's what God calls us to. But what does this actually look like? How do we do this practically? Well, I want to suggest a few things that we can kind of put into practice, hopefully. The first thing is to delight in God's character, to live our lives with him, sharing life with him. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how we have God's ear when we pray, we have God's uh, voice when he speaks to us through the Bible, and so we can delight in him through these things, through the Bible and through prayer. So, so really make that a commitment for yourself. When you're reading God's word, recognise that it is God's word, that he is breathing in and through it, that he's saying something to you today. And then speak back to him, share your life with him, converse with God. And then meditate on the goodness of God. Spend time reflecting on who he is, what he's like, how he loves. One way you can do that is by thinking about the names of God. Now, names are very important in the Bible, in Hebrew culture. A, a name was given to a child, not just to kind of differentiate them from someone else, but there was also very clearly had a meaning and a purpose. And this was kind of who you wanted this person to be. You would name them after the identity and the character that you wanted to see in their life. And so when we hear the names of God in the Bible, they're really important too. They really indicate what God is like. And so we know that God is a father, that he loves us like a father, that he's powerful but he's also close. He is the ancient of days. He is eternal. He is consistent. He's been there since before the world began. He wants us to know that nothing surprises him, that everything, the whole span of time is in his hands. Or we're told that the Holy Spirit is the advocate because God wants us to know that he's always on our behalf, that he is fighting and working for us. So perhaps you can take some time to reflect on the names of God, the metaphors given for God. I've got about 250 of them. Uh, you can actually go to our website, service.coos.com, and you'll see the notes there, and there's a, a, an attachment there. So you can see the 250 names of God. Why don't you spend the next year <laughs> meditating on them? Delight in his character, and then delight in Jesus himself. See, God reveals himself through the creation, but in the most profound and beautiful ways, he reveals himself through Jesus. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So when you're looking at Jesus, you are seeing what God is like. So get to know him. Not just as a, uh, a, an abstract figure, but as a, a true character, the God-man who, who jumps off the pages of the Bible. Maybe you know all those stories, but go back to them. Read them slowly. slowly. At the moment, I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke. I've been doing it for a couple of weeks, and I'm on Luke 3. I'm just reading like a paragraph a day, and I'm just looking to see what do I, what, what is Jesus like? How can I love this Jesus? So far, I'm just marvelling at the way uh, he is truly human. 
that here is the God-man who comes to earth and he's so humble that he, he's born in a stable and he's part of this line of genealogy of people throughout the ages. He is truly human, but also God. What an extraordinary God that is. So delight in Jesus, delight in what he's like. And then delight in his people. Uh, I often come home on a Sunday night just buzzing. I'm so encouraged by the people in our church. I just love being around God's people. and I'm amazed by your faith. I'm energised by your enthusiasm, inspired by the way you're using your gifts. and It's all just wonderful. And, and I get to delight in God's people. And in doing so, I'm actually delighting in God. You see, the church is in some profound way the body of Christ. That's how the Bible talks about us. We are bound together in such a way that we can experience and express the presence of God. We get to see what God is like in each other. And so when we're together, this delight starts bouncing around. We enjoy each other and we enjoy God together. Now, the writer C.S. Lewis has this lovely line about how we get to know friends uh, in different ways through different people. That there's some things that, let's say we're at a dinner party and I'm talking to you, there will be things about your character, your personality that I bring out. And then if my wife is talking to you or I see you with my cat, then you'll, I see other aspects to your personality and your character. They bring out something different. And together we're bringing out all of these things in each other. And that's actually what happens when we gather together too. When I see that you, I learn more about you, but I also learn more about God. The Bible says that each of us has the manifestation of the Spirit. And so when I get to know you, I get to know more about who God is. When I hear you pray, then I learn more about the kinds of God, the kinds of things that we can pray to God about. I realize from your relationship, maybe there's something that you do that you have that I don't quite have. And I learn more about that. You expand my vision of what God is like. So we delight in God by delighting in the community of faith in the body of Christ. So let's get to know each other more. Let's get to know different people so that we can learn more of who God is. So we delight in God because he delights, and then we also delight in God's gifts to us. In our reading tonight, 1 Timothy 6, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, God delights in his creation, and so he fills it with lots of delightful things. And we honour him when we delight in those things. I mean, just think about all the wonderful things that God gives us. Like, how wonderful is it to have good relationships with people? How wonderful is it to laugh with someone? How good is it when you just get a hug from someone which you really needed? Well, think about nature, like a glorious sunset or the smell of the forest after the rain, or the roll of the waves. How beautiful are these things? Or consider the things that we make, like a good book or a, uh, a great movie, a beautiful building, sport, music, whatever it is. These are things that we make, but ultimately it comes from God's hand. He's enabled us to create those things. And then there's a million small things, like the smell of bacon, or, or the taste of a, a juicy watermelon. That's from God or a happy memory, or a dog smiling at you stupidly, or, or my cat when he kind of curls up and he puts his paws under his chin. 
Like, that's a wonderful gift of God. Or what about a comfy chair at the end of a long day or, or fresh sheets? How good are fresh sheets? Or clean socks, like new socks. How good is that? Or that feeling when you lie down in bed and you're like, I'm now going to sleep and you give yourself to the sleep and you just fall into that sleep. Or the thrill of learning something fascinating or the joy of a good sentence when you're reading a book. Maybe I'm just a nerd. Or, or maybe it's that song that you love and you just have to dance. But if you're like me, you should probably make sure that no one's watching. Like whatever it is, God is so good to us. As the writer Tim Chester says, we have no reason to be bored in God's world. We have so many things to delight in. And yet there's actually some danger in this as well. You see, humans have this weird and perverse ability to, to misuse God's good gifts. You see, we take the gift and then we don't honour him for it. We don't say thank you. Or we fixate on the gift and become consumed by that. And so this good gift that God has given so that we can enjoy him becomes a thing that actually distracts us from him. We cut him out of the picture. We worship the gift rather than the giver. And so there's actually warnings in Scripture about not getting too connected to certain things. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. Or Colossians 3, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So, so what do we do with this stuff around us? What do we do with these experiences that we have? See, some people think that we should just uh, disconnect entirely with this world, that it's too dangerous the risk of idolising something means we just need to uh, kind of push it all away. So the great hymn writer Isaac Watts, one of his hymns says, grace command my heart away from all created good. Like I, I don't even want to enjoy any of those things. But that's not what we're seeing in the Bible, is it? God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, yes, God should be our chief delight, but that doesn't mean we can't enjoy the things that he creates. And actually, if we do this properly, then the things of earth can actually lift our hearts above. It all depends on how we approach these things. This is where I found a book called The Things of Earth, incredibly helpful. It's in the notes. It's by a guy called Joe Rigney. Uh, the writer says he's writing this question, this, this book, basically to answer the question, what do I do with the things of earth? Like if it's so dangerous that I could idolise them, how do I worship God through these things? And his answer is basically that we delight in the good, we, we honour God by delighting in the things that he has created. If there is a God who delights in creation, then we please him when we delight in it as well. See, all of these things are gifts from God. James 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so we should enjoy them. In fact, John Calvin says it would be insulting if we didn't enjoy them. And then our joy in them becomes an expression of our love for God. Joe, Joe says, what does full and supreme love for God look like when it meets one of his gifts? Glad reception of that gift and enjoyment of it. Whereas another writer, Charles Simeon, says, we enjoy God in everything and everything in God. There's this moment where we're enjoying all of this together. We get the thing. We enjoy what God has given us and then we celebrate with God. 
we celebrate his goodness. Let me offer you just a couple of practical ways in which we can do that, things that we can kind of work into our life perhaps. The first thing is to just make sure that we give thanks for his gifts. I have this memory embedded in my mind from when I was a kid. It was a birthday party. I was probably seven or eight years old. And I remember I was just fixated on the presents. So every time my friends would come, they'd get to the, to the driveway, I would race out, grab the present, run back inside. I wouldn't even say hello to them. I just wanted the presents. And then thankfully my parents sort of said, look, you really should thank the person and engage and interact with them in some kind of way. You should honour the giver. And it's always stuck in my mind that, that you say thank you, right, for the things that you get. And this makes sense, doesn't it? We should say thank you to the one who gives us every good thing. And actually by doing this, we bring him into it. We, we, we remember the giver and we worship him. As it says in our reading, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So why don't you get into a, a habit of, of thanking God? And like before we have a meal, we say grace. You know, Thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless it to us. Why don't you start extend, extending that? Before you step into a movie, oh, thank you, God, for this opportunity to watch this movie. It's going to be awesome. Uh, bless it to me. It may, may it be a, a time of en- enrichment and enjoy for me. Before you start a day off, oh, thank you so much for this day. I just really need a rest and thank you for giving it to me. I pray that I'll just really be refreshed today. Say grace throughout your day. Or maybe you could try the 10,000 Reasons Challenge. Uh, There's a song that we sing, 10,000 Reasons for My Heart to Sing. So so why don't you start doing that? If there's 10,000 reasons, why don't you start jotting them down? Every day just take time to write down five things that you're thankful for If you do that, in five and a half years, you'll get to 10,000. And what a wonderful time that will be. You'll be celebrating God's goodness. So we should give thanks for his gifts. And then secondly, look for the deeper message of creation. Uh, Rigney makes the point that creation is actually communicating something to us. So God is invisible, but in the creation we see aspects of what he is like, It makes invisible realities visible, Rigney says. And so just as you can see the personality of the artist in what they create, so you can see the personality of God in his creation. That's what the Bible tells us, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So listen to them. Like, see what God is showing you about himself in creation. Look for who he is. Uh, I'm reading this marvellous little book at the moment called God of All Things. It's, I've got a link to it in the notes again. It's by this guy called Andrew Wilson, and his big idea is that creation points beyond itself, that things exist to show us something about God. And so everything in creation has these theological implications for us. And one of the joys of being human, he says, is working out what they are. So, for instance, he says, the Sahara Desert points to the vastness of God. 
Here is this eternal, immense, infinite God, just like, and if we're looking for a way to describe it, well, here's the desert, this enormous desert. When you see this desert, think of the vastness of God. Or wombats, they show his sense of humour. <laughs> or pigs, there's this amazing chapter on pigs and how they show the welcome of God and they point to the way the gospel makes us clean in the most beautiful ways. Or rocks, he says, points to the character of God, the steadfastness of God. He says, ever since the beginning, the surface of this planet has been covered with rocks and every one of them has been preaching a message of the faithfulness uh, of his faithfulness, security, and the steadfastness of God. Next time you look at a rock, see what God is like. I can't remember who it was who said this, but for Christians, everything tastes better. What it means is we get to see everything that's so beautiful in this world, we get to delight in that, but we also get the next step of knowing where it comes from and rejoicing in the one who gave that to us. And all we need to do is to open our eyes to it, to see the glories of God around us. And I think it's really important for us to do this. So as I said at the, at earlier, uh, the first lie that came into the world was the idea that, that God is a killjoy, that God is not someone that we can trust, that he's holding out on us, that he's not someone that we can delight in. And this lie was believed by Adam and Eve and has been believed by all humans since then. We have this thing deep down in our heart where we question whether we can truly enjoy God. Do we really want to live our lives with him? But actually it's a lie from the devil. Jesus says in John 10 that the devil is a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but he has come so that we may have life and have it abundantly. And so we need to remind ourselves of this goodness, the goodness of God. We need to celebrate him so that we can say no to sin. We can see that it's not as exciting as God. And this will also help us share the truth about him. So I don't know about you, but I really struggle in terms of evangelism. I love talking to people about Jesus when I get the chance, but I don't often pursue those opportunities enough and I create those opportunities enough. And, and sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm just thinking about mission because I just have to do it. I'm supposed to do this, but it's not necessarily bubbling over. And yet when we're really excited about something, we can't help but proclaim it. I went to the footy last night. Amazing game. It was brilliant. I want to tell you all about it. It was really exciting. I delighted in that game. And by the same way, when we delight in God, then we cannot help but talk about it. We will share that with others. And I think we have something profoundly beautiful to offer. You see, deep within humanity is the desire for someone outside of this world, a desire for God. And you see it in two things. You see it when people suffer, when people are desperate to cry out, God, is there someone out there who can help me in my suffering? That's when we really call out for God. That's when we want a God. But there's another moment when we want God, and that is when we're happy, when we are thankful. Like when we go outside and there's this beautiful starry night and we're amazed by the grandeur of the stars and the beauty of what we see, we want to thank someone. And as Christians, we know who to thank. We have that relationship with him. 
we can delight in him and then invite other people to as well. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's really what we're here for. That's what evangelism is. It's saying to people, come and see what God is like because he delights in you and because he is worth delighting in. Well, by now I'm hoping that you're really feeling the joy of our God and yet you're, you're already starting to think of all the, the lots of little uh, signs that he's placed all over the place, the breadcrumbs leading back to him and his goodness. But now I want to talk about denial and, and it probably seems a bit jarring. Like we're talking about all of these wonderful things, so why would we need to talk about denial? How, how do these two things fit together? And yet Jesus says if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself. And certainly he lived a life of denial. We see often in the scriptures, in the gospels, that he, he fasted, that he denied himself comfort. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. And ultimately he denied himself life itself. He gave it up. So this is clearly part of what it means to follow him. But I want to suggest that we deny ourselves in order that we can find even more delight. Let's unpack that. First of all, let's think about when and why we might deny ourselves. First of all, we might deny ourselves sin. There are things that tempt us and we need to say no to those things. Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have denied the flesh with its passions and desires. We're supposed to say no to stuff and deny ourselves those things. But there's also times where we might deny ourselves good things. For instance, we might deny ourselves good things because of circumstances. I might really enjoy getting out and walking on my own by the beach at 6 o'clock at night, enjoying God, but it's probably really bad for my wife because she's uh, wrestling with the kids and trying to get dinner ready and doing the homework and all of those things. Like it's right that I would deny myself that pleasure so that I can be with her. We might also deny ourselves to serve other people, to provide for other people. So we might deny ourselves uh, certain uh, treats or certain uh, luxuries so that we can give that money away to a charity or to compassion or something like that. And that's a good thing for us to do. Sometimes we might deny ourselves something that is good but a little bit dangerous for us. See, we all have these vulnerabilities, don't we? things that we misuse or we overuse or things that we seem to have a particular uh, possibility that we will idolise that thing. Take alcohol, for instance. Like it is a good thing from God. The Psalms say that God gave us wine to gladden our hearts. But for some people it's hard to just have one. It's easy for them to be overcome by this. And so it's right for them to say, no, I'm just not going to touch it at all, to deny yourself a good thing that has become a dangerous thing for you. And sometimes we might even uh, deny ourselves something that's good for us but dangerous for others. So in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how there's a whole bunch of people in the church who feel uncomfortable eating, eating certain foods because they've been offered to idols. Paul says, look, you don't need to worry about this, but I will deny myself for your sake. I'm okay to eat it on my own, but when I'm around you, I won't because I don't want to make you stumble. So we deny ourselves something good for the sake of someone else. And then sometimes we have to deny ourselves because we're choosing God over everything else. Uh, Jesus warned that when you convert to following him, 
you'll gain certain things, but you'll also lose certain things. You might lose family. You might lose friends. Think of a, a, a Muslim convert, for instance, who chooses Jesus but then is cut off by their family. They're being denied that because they're seeking to serve God. So there's actually lots of times where we might deny ourselves even things that are good. But you know what? Every time we're called to deny ourselves, there's always a promise of delight with it or after it. Uh, Rigney explains that there's never just random self-denial. God doesn't just ask us to have a cold, cold shower just for the sake of it. Whenever we're asked to deny ourselves, it's so that we can have something better, something more. Rigney writes, biblical self-denial is always the giving up of a lesser joy for the sake of a greater one, giving up something good for the sake of something better. Just take sin. Yes, we deny ourselves, but it's for our good. We say no to these things, to these passions and desires. The world tells us that it's natural, that to deny ourselves is unnatural, but we know that that's not true. You see, if you follow on with those things, if you follow those passions, you find them to be destructive. So this great thing on Facebook the other day. The message, follow your heart, has ended more marriages, caused more addictions, destroyed more souls, and ended more lives than even Satan imagined. Like it's right for us to deny ourselves those things because we have greater delights if we do. What about when we give our money away? Well, God says, Jesus says, that it's more blessed to give than receive. So yes, we miss out on some luxury, but we gain something more, a sense of joy in being charitable to someone else. And sometimes we might have to give up certain things that we like, even just for a time, but that's actually better for us too. Recently I was noticing that I was on uh, Twitter or X or whatever it's called, and it was really getting me down. I was reading it and it's just doom scrolling and it was just getting frustrated. So I just kind of stopped looking at it for about a month and it, I felt so much better. <laughs> like I denied myself and found greater joy somewhere else. And even when we lose certain things where our faith might isolate us because of our relationships or things like that, God promises to fill the gap with even greater things. Matthew 19, Jesus says, Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's what God promises us. And that's ultimately what inspired Jesus himself. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus denied himself the peace of heaven, the comfort of earth, the security of power. He denied himself all of these things for us. And he did that because on the other side, he knew that he could have us, that if he died for us, we would rise with him and we could be part of his family, his body, forever. This God who delights in us now invites us to delight in him. And in fact, right now, he's preparing this great banquet of delights for us. I have a friend who passed away uh, during the night last night and I knew that it was coming. And I was thinking the other day about 
oh, I woke up a couple of days ago thinking, is this today the last sunset that he's going to see? It was such a tragic thought. But then I, it struck me that as Christians, we have a greater hope than that. Yes, it, there will be a sunset, our last sunset, but really that's just the dawn of an eternity of wonder. If the very best sunset that we can see here is just a foretaste of what is to come, an eternity of delight that God has for us because he delights in us, he delights in you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you delight in us. You love us so much that you made us, made us to share in your glory and your joy. Lord, we, uh, we're sorry that we don't honour you, that even the good things that you give us, sometimes we worship them rather than you. We get lost in these things. We're not thankful as we ought to be. So, Lord, we thank you that you delighted in us so much that Jesus came to die for us and to give us new life. We embrace that and we ask that we might delight in you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.